Well, not only is today Father's Day, but it's also Retread Sunday. Uh, your senior pastor, Bob Fuller, is down the street preaching at Alamo City Church downtown. That's one of our church plant partners. And he's put a retread in the pulpit here this morning. So um, it's good to be with you. Some of you know who I am. Some of you have no clue, not that you should. But I am a retread. I was an intern here at First Presbyterian Church in the summer of 1977. Then I came back like a boomerang. They couldn't get rid of me. Uh, from 1979 to 89, I was an associate pastor here and then finished out my active ministry as senior pastor the last three years of my active ministry and retired in 2018. So it's good to be back, good to be back in this pulpit. It feels really good. Well, our sermon series this summer is all about the songs of the faith and how scripture and singing intertwine. And, uh, you know, the Christian faith has always been a singing faith. One of my favorite Christian songs is His Eye is on the Sparrow. And the chorus goes like this, I sing because I'm happy, I sing because I'm free, for His eye is on the sparrow, and I know He watches me. Well, that's great. But what about those times when you and I aren't happy? What about those times when we're not free? Or we doubt, you know, I mean, a universe with billions and billions of galaxies, trillions of planets and stars, can God's eye really be on a single little sparrow, let alone upon us, especially when we feel alone and lost in this vast universe? How do we sing then? How? When life is caving in and we're depressed and, and in despair and trauma and tragedy slam into our lives. When we are going through one of those dark nights of the soul, how do we sing? Well, that's exactly where King David, who's the author of the psalm that we're about to read, Psalm 13, that's where he is. And I want you to notice something. In verses 1 and 2 of the psalm, you're going to see a phrase repeated four times. Now, anytime you read Scripture and you see repetition, that's God's way of saying through the inspired writer, this is important. Pay close attention. And in verses 1 and 2, you're going to hear David four times say, how long, how long, how long, how long? That's his way of saying, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm done in. I'm about to tap out. I feel like throwing in the towel. I am through. Do you ever feel like that? Maybe you're here today and that's exactly where you are. You're Sonny Liston. I've been there. I guarantee you this, you are going to be there at various times in your life because you and I live in a broken world. We live in a world where we're not called to have our best life now. Have you heard a pastor say that? If that's true, then what does that mean on the other side? Where are you going? We're not going to have our best life now until Jesus returns and brings his kingdom into fulfillment. Until then, we live in a broken world. No matter how strong you are as a believer, disease, death, tragedy, these things still hit our lives. And even strong believers 
can go through the dark night of the soul. So how do we sing? Well, Psalm 13 is a psalm of lament. You and I need to know how to faithfully lament. And the songs that we sing when we're in lament, when we're in lament well, those are the blues. We need to learn how to sing the blues. Now, musical historians will tell you that the origin of the blues goes back to the hard scrabble lives of African-American slaves on the plantations. They won't tell you that they're believers, but they were. And they learned how to sing their faith in the midst of their pain and lack of freedom and all the other stuff that was a part of their lives. But that's not really the origin of the blues. The origin of the blues is right here in the Psalms of Lament. You know, being a Christian is not a get-out-of-jail-free card that exempts you and me from the trials and pain and suffering of life. No. That's not real life. The Bible is all about real life. That's why 40% of the 150 Psalms are Psalms of Lament. You and I need to learn how to faithfully lament. And King David's going to show us how to do that this morning. So I invite you to turn in your Bible and keep your Bible open, or look on the wall, or get it up on your phone, whatever, as we read Psalm 13 this morning. Let's pray before we read. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds now to your word, that we might clearly understand it, that we might gratefully receive it, and that we might faithfully apply it to our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. And now hear God's word, Psalm 13. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Please join me as we pray again. And now, Father, as my words are true to your word, may they be taken to heart. But as my words should stray from your word, may they be quickly forgotten. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, before we get into the meat of this psalm, I want to ask you a rather simple question. How many verses are there in this psalm? You're probably thinking, well, that's kind of a dumb question. It's obvious. There are six verses. Not so fast. If you go back to the Masoretic text, that's the original Hebrew Bible. Now, I did that. I did a full translation of the Hebrew here for the sermon. You'll find that it has seven verses. See that heading up above verse 1 in the ESV where it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David. That's verse 1 in the Hebrew Bible. 
That's considered in the Hebrew Bible to be inspired scripture. I go with that. That's why I included it in our text today. Not everybody does, but I think it is. And you know, but something bothers me about that. You know, you can go through the Psalms, not all of them, but many of Psalms will have a heading like that above verse one of the text. They never have one that says to the pastor. It's always to the choir master, Jay, uh, or the choir director, never the pastor. You know, what's going on there? Well, let's go back to that original question we asked. How do you and I sing in the midst of brokenness and the downness of life? When you and I are going through a dark night of the soul, how do we sing? Well, we need to learn how to sing the blues. And in our text this morning, in this heading, we encounter the original Blues Brothers, an unnamed choir master and King David. Now, David lays bare his soul in verses 2 and 3, or is it 1 and 2, um, of our text. He lays bare his soul in such a negative, down way that you and I are liable to miss the grand positive of this text. God has included this psalm in his word because it's a permission-granting psalm. Look how David, a great man of God, a great leader, look how he comes before God. He holds nothing back. He's totally honest with God. He rips God. He throws him questions. He throws his theology, good and bad, in God's face. He's lamenting. He's, he's down and out. He's crying out to God, which means that you and I can do the same thing. It means that being an authentic believer in Jesus Christ doesn't mean you're not going to have your down days. It does mean that you and I don't have to play around with God. We can be totally honest. He knows what's in our hearts anyway. And he loves us so much, he's willing to take it. Now, David throws a lot of stuff at God. Some of it is in line with reality, and some of it isn't. Let's take a look at verse 1. He cries out, how long? How long, God, are you going to forget me? Does that line up with reality? Does God ever feel, or does God ever forget you and me? Sometimes you and I feel like God's forgotten us. I've been there. What's reality? If you look at Isaiah 49, verses 15 and 16, God, through the prophet Isaiah, says, can a nursing mother ever forget her child? Of course, the answer to that is no. And God says, well, there's more chance of that happening than me ever forgetting you. And then in verse 16, he says, in fact, I have engraved you on my palms. What does that mean? Somehow, God has taken yours and my very being and engraved it into his being. That makes me think of Christ on the cross. As those nails went through Christ's palms, you and I were being nailed to the cross with Christ. God never forgets his own. Never. So David's not in line with reality here. Now the next part of verse 1, he is in line with reality. He says, how long are you going to hide your face from me? 
Do you ever feel like God's playing hide and seek with you? The early church fathers talked about this a lot. Martin Luther calls this the deus obsconditus. The idea that God actually does remove or hides from us, not as punishment. Uh -uh. The early church fathers say he does that to make us want him more, to seek him out. And of course, we have God's promise where he says, if you seek me with all of your heart, I will let you find me. And then in verse 2, he has two more how longs. How long are you, are you going to let my heart just be full of sorrow? And how long are you going to let my enemies exalt over me? I mean, David is, is full of sorrow. He's kind of throwing a pity party here. But he's also very fearful. Fearful of losing. David doesn't like to lose. He's the warrior king. I can identify with that. I played ball in high school and college and semi-pro baseball and coached for two years, baseball at Trinity University, assistant coach. I made the lineups those two years, and I put the guys on the field, not the guys who loved playing baseball, although they should, but I played the guys who couldn't stand to lose because we were looking to go to Omaha every year. Just missed it by this much twice. And I don't want guys just out there playing for fun. I want guys who cannot stand to lose. David cannot stand to lose. He can't stand the idea of some enemy triumphing over him. Now, what were David's enemies at that time? He doesn't tell us. What are your enemies in mind? Death? Disease? Relationships gone bad? Business deals that have gone belly up? We can't stand to lose, can we? Reminds me of the story of the young pastor and an elderly man in the congregation asking to play golf. And they decided they're not going to play on who has the least amount of strokes, but they play on who wins each hole. So the first hole, the old man won. And the pastor said, your hole. Second hole, the old man won again. Pastor says, your hole. Third hole, same thing. Fourth hole, same thing. Pastor says, your hole. The old man could see his pastor was getting really discouraged and down. He hated to lose. He decided to try to cheer him up. And he said, Dave, look at cheer up, man. Um, you got a lot going for you. Like what? Well, you're probably about 30 years younger than I am, which means that someday I'm going to die before you and you're going to be doing my graveside service. And the pastor said, yeah, that'll be your whole tip. <laughs> David hates to lose. What's the promise of God to you and me? In the face of that, nothing, nothing can ever separate you and me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. No enemy, even death as the last enemy, can have the last word in your life and mine. Only Jesus will. We have his promise. So how do you sing when you're going through one of those dark nights of the soul? Well, in verses 3 and 4, David stops and he prays. And that's a clue to you and me. Before we can learn to sing, before we can learn to lament, first of all, we need to get on our knees and go to the mat with God in agonizing prayer. And David does that here. He lays out before God some of the things that are really putting him on the mat. And he says, light up my eye. 
lest I sleep the sleep of death. Everything's dark in David's life. The only darker thing could be death itself. I guess this is sort of a 6th century BC way of asking God to give him night vision goggles so he can see through the darkness. And then he goes on to ask God to um, make sure that my foes don't prevail over me because I'm so shaken, Lord, so shaken. We need to learn how to pray in the midst of the dark night of the soul. You know, this prayer is a real downer prayer. It's in a minor key. In fact, this whole psalm down to this point has been in a minor key, harmonic, heading downward. You know, every time I work on a text, I'm always asking myself, okay, where is the bump of grace in this text? Where's the bump of grace? Do you see it? See in the text? Verse 5, the first word, that word, but, how long, Lord, but, how long, but, but. David can't see anything but darkness. No matter how much faith he has, he's deep in the pit. He cannot see any light at the end of the tunnel. Have you been there? I've been there. I remember when I walked away from the grave of my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. That's where I spent nine months. Everything was dark. But look what happens to David. He prays. He's on this downward thing in a minor key, and all of a sudden the key switches to major. What does he do? theological term for what David does here is repent. You know, it sounds like a really esoteric word. It simply, literally means turn around. David cannot see any light ahead of him. So what does he do? He turns around and looks backward. This is more than a clue for you and me. When our night is dark, when things are pitch black, then look backwards. Verse 6, he says he does that and he sees how God has dealt bountifully with him. You might call this an Ebenezer movement, a moment for David. You know what an Ebenezer is, don't you? Back in Old Testament times, when God showed up and did something big in somebody's life or a family's life or a tribe of Israel's life, they would erect an Ebenezer, a pile of stones, to commemorate God showing up. Well, they say that if you walked over the Palestinian countryside back in those days, you would see literally hundreds of these Ebenezers all over. Maybe you're having a bad day. Maybe God doesn't feel real to you. Maybe you feel lost in the universe and God has forgotten you. But you could look around and say, well, God must be real. Look at all these Ebenezers. We have an Ebenezer in our yard. My youngest son, Michael, had a malignant brain tumor when he was nine. Um, he's 32 now. He recovered. But four years ago, he had a stroke. We took him to the hospital, and they thought it was a recurrence of the cancer. And uh, I said, I want a neurologist to sign off on this. Well, we couldn't get a neuro- neurologist appointment for five months here in San Antonio. So I called Michael's pediatric oncologist in Dallas 
I said, Dan, here's the situation. Call me back a half hour later. You got an appointment with Dr. Johnson at Southwestern Medical. We got in the car, went up there. He looked at all the CAT scans, MRIs, and everything. He said, it's not cancer. He's had a stroke, which is not life-threatening. Just lost some feeling on the right side of his face. That Thanksgiving, 2019, we erected an Ebenezer in our yard to mark that event. I have good and bad days. Though I've been a pastor for 43 years, a Christian since age 10, I'm 73 now, I have bad days when, I don't know, I'm just not firing on eight spiritually. And I'll go out and look at that Ebenezer and go, sorry, Lord, that I ever doubted you. You know, David looks back and he says, now I can rejoice in your salvation. All of a sudden, joy appears here in the midst of the darkness. That seems kind of odd, counterintuitive. That's because you and I confuse happiness with joy. You know, happiness comes from the same root word as happenstance. Something serendipitous happens in your life, and if it's good, you're happy. If it's not, you're sad. Joy has nothing to do with that. Joy is a steady state that nothing can change. Joy is knowing that if you have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, you belong to him. You're his sheep. He has you in the hollow of his hand. And as he says in John 10, nothing, no wiggle room, nothing can snatch you from my hand. Nothing. That means your salvation is secured. Nothing can derail that train. We had a cook here at First Pres, Lloyd Jean Williams. Many of you remember her. Lloyd Jean was my discipler. She discipled me. Something was always going wrong in Lloyd Jean's life. Or literally, her house burnt down, her car got stolen. I'd hear about it. I'd go to her and say, Lloyd Jean, how you doing? And she'd always look at me and smile and go, Ron, I'm blessed. She was joyful in the midst of that because she knew that whatever was happening around her did not affect the fact that she belonged to Christ and nothing can change that. So here is David heading down to this minor key and all of a sudden this psalm of lament switches into a major key. And when I was working on this text, I noticed that and the hymn we're about to sing jumped into my mind. Watch in this hymn we're about to sing. Every verse starts in a minor key and then reverts to a major key because that's the Christian life. Christian life is not all major key, but it's not all minor key. But it always ends on the major key because Jesus is in control. He's sovereign. He's King of kings, Lord of lords. You belong to him. He will not lose any of his sheep. So if you're in the dark night of the soul right now, his promise to you is this will not last forever. If you can't see the way forward, look back. Look at all the things I've done for you in your life, and I'm not going to let you slip through my fingers. My friends, that is the good news of the gospel, even when the night is dark. In fact, faith is taking the next step even when the night is dark. Please pray with me. Lord God, we thank you that we belong to you. Um, Nobody can change that. 
We thank you that you have secured our salvation in Jesus Christ, that you're never absent from our lives. You give us your promise. I am with you always, no exceptions, even till the end of the age. Lord, help us not to confuse our feelings with the reality that we are yours and we will be with you forever. And you will redeem all that you allow to go through your fingers. And we're thankful for that, Lord. And we give you great thanks and praise in Jesus' name.